Do you miss it? I do. Really? I do. Well, it's it's I only do. been like three. I months, know, four but months. Andrew's like, we should be doing something. Like, it's not like you're you're struggling to fill the time. Not even close. Right. In fact, I don't even have the time. I'm supposed to you get You probably the, didn't have the time in the first place. The movie. Well, that's how I work. <laughs> only Things only get done because there's no time to do them. See, the funny thing is when we caught up before this movie, we were actually catching up. Like, I hadn't I seen, I hadn't I seen you in a long time, and I heard talk. Heard I've been out of the circles. Yeah, oh, I've been out of the circles. Very strange. It's very bizarre. Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. Happy New Year. You're listening to episode 191 of the Matinee Cast. It's a movie-loving podcast. My movie-loving website, thematinee.ca, your home for cinematic passion and perspective. There is a famous Seattle proverb that goes, old podcasters never die. They just find other shows to guest on. And that's today's guest. You can see while he decided to hang up his mic this past autumn, he has shown, as you just heard, that you can't keep a good podcaster down. If he has something to say, he'll find a show to say it on. Or in today's case, he'll find two. Ordinarily, I might cry foul about being the second date on a suitor's daily schedule. But but when the suitor is such a blast to be around, eh, you just smile and make a night of it. Do you still write anywhere? I I do. I do. Uh, You can find find me at uh, screenanarchy.com. Nice, nice. Uh, And he used to write at row three. When row three is a thing, we already miss it. I really miss it. Um, Kurt Halfyard is here. How are you, man? I'm fabulous, and a happy new year to you. Thank you for having me on the show uh, for the sixth time. I did not bring my five timers smoking I, jacket. I, am, I swear, uh, I'm getting <laughs> buttons made up, and, and everybody who's a six timer is getting a button this year. Uh, but now, refresh my memory. Did I bully you to be on the show, or did you? No, invite no, me? no. I, this was. I, I was like, I, I haven't got you on since uh, since early this year. Yeah, we did a springtime show. I was like, what else do you want to talk about? And you said Phantom Thread. It's like, mm-hmm. let's, yeah, let's do that. Absolutely. So that's what we're going to be talking about in episode 191. We will be discussing Paul Thomas Anderson's Phantom Thread. We'll be flipping the record over to play the other side. But first, folks, for the first time ever, it's the sixth round of Know Your Enemy. Time to learn more about Kurt. On episode 48, where Kurt showed up the first time to talk about The Descendants, we learned the first movie he'd ever seen in the theater was The Empire Strikes Back. The last movie he'd seen at the time was Vertigo. The worst film he'd ever seen was Viking Massacre. The unseen classic or essential was The Sound of Music. He's since seen it. And the film he wished he made was Danny Boyle's Sunshine. On episode 85, where we talked about Star Trek Into Darkness, we learned the movie he digs that everybody else dislikes is Southland Tales. The inverse, the one that he does not like, that everybody else does, is Schindler's List. The last movie to make him cry was Catch Me If You Can. In the movie of his life, he'd be played by Will Wheaton, and the movie he was watching next was Baz Luhrmann's Great Gatsby. Next, on episode 125, we talked about Foxcatcher and learned the film that made Kurt's love of movies turn a corner was The Untouchables. His first date movie was Consenting Adults. His sick day movie is Without a Clue. The film to leave him speechless was Manic Namana, and his epitaph was, Fuck! Even in the future, nothing works. Good intonation. Thank you. On episode 152, we talked about Hail Caesar. We learned the film he really digs but never wants to see again was something called Come and See. The film that genuinely freaked him out was The Time of the Wolf. The film that always makes him laugh is The Burbs, no surprise. The soundtrack that he loves the most is Sympathy for Lady Vengeance, and the film he loves but seemingly nobody has heard of is magic magic 
Last but not least, episode 173, we talked about Personal Shopper, which, by the way, I think might have been the most underrated movie of last year. It is. I, I think of it as a previous year film because yeah. that's when it played on the festival yeah. circuit. But I, so it kind of got lost in the shuffle, yeah. but it is definitely that. And uh, we probably should have talked about it longer. We should have. Uh, we learned when he goes to the theater, he sits in the third row. No surprise there. If he could go on a date with any movie character, he would have gone with Ramona Flowers from Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. The dirtiest film he'd ever seen. Literally dirtiest is the proposition. His favorite black and white film. His favorite film, Full Stop, The Maltese Falcon. And the film that nobody would expect him to like is Latter-day Spielberg. So the BFG and Lincoln and Munich and that kind of ilk. So time for round six. Kurt Halfyard, at home or in the theater, what is your movie snack of choice? Now I'm stretching the definition of snack because <laughs> I, I didn't know. I only drink coffee when I watch the movies. Like you don't Doesn't drink it in the morning it is. or like at work? Well, okay. I, I also drink coffee in every other situation, okay, but okay. I don't drink cola okay i don't generally have water right sometimes i ask for a courtesy cup at mm. the cineplex and get carbonated water okay but uh coffee if if it has to be a solid and not a liquid i used to do this i don't do it as much anymore i buy a bag of potato chips a big bag of potato chips oh, you're and then guy. i transfer uh, 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 i transfer it to a silent ziploc bag so i'm not crinkling okay, okay. the metallic bag um, <laughs> and to further answer that question if i am going to the tiff light box okay. i go up to the members lounge, lounge if it happens to be open because if you have a membership they have this little lounge i do get my coffee for free there which is great wait, wait we have that yes for members really every free coffee oh man you've been you missing changed out for my years. life holy crap and, and they always put out pretzels, in which case I get another coffee cup, an empty one, and I put dump the pretzels, the pretzels in, that. and I bring it down. And oh, I figured man. it's $450 a year per membership. Yeah, yeah. They can supply me with free coffee and pretzels. <laughs> They're more than happy to. The employees there always laugh. I mean, you're you know you're you're among friends because I'm I'm usually the guy drinking a tea in the movies. But um, but why why coffee? Because I mean, when you think of movies, you usually think like popcorn. You think unhealthy snacks. Um, you you know certainly. That kind of thing. My family, when I was growing up, were both avid moviegoers mm -hmm. and poor. Okay. <laughs> so we would buy the movie ticket. Back then it was $2.50. And we were never allowed to eat snacks mm. at the movie theater. So I was never conditioned to fill myself up with salt and sugar at the movies. Okay. We just bought our ticket and we watched the movie. We often, there were a few um, inexpensive Chinese takeout places okay. around in Oshawa where I grew up that you could like a family of four could eat for like 10 bucks. Mm. So we would often go for a movie and then a round of Chinese food after, okay. which is great. You should always, you should never go for dinner in a movie. No. You should always go for a movie and dinner because yeah, then you have conversation. Romance, right? You have the pie after Absolutely. the movie. Yeah, you, yeah. you have the conversation of the movie while you are waiting or eating. And so, well, while I still don't do that, I don't do the Chinese food now. Yeah. I, I just have... The coffee, and I also go to the movies very, very late at night. As I was going to um, say, I was, I'm as like, I'm Andrew thinking... Robinson will uh, attest, I've often been picking him up at college, and right. the two of us will go to like the the eleven fifteen show, oh, and then I'll drop him off at one, and then we will sit in the parking lot of the college, oh, chatting, no, and he's like, 
You should probably. He kicks me out, even though I'm driving. Him. You should probably go home and sleep. Um, that's, yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I like that idea. Coffee movies. I really do love it. Um, what is a movie world that you'd like to spend a day in? Okay, so again, none of these answers are simple. You gave me too much time to think about them. So uh, I'm going to learn my lesson for round seven. I, um, I. This is relatively simple. Though. It would definitely be a Wes Anderson world. Okay. Um, and I couldn't decide between. The Grand Budapest narrow aspect ratio, like okay. the oldest, right, when right. everything is when everything was gorgeous, lush. Yeah. and lush, uh, or the submarine uh, and ship on the Life Aquatic. Oh, wow. see, those I, would be my two movie worlds. See, I would think. Oh, well, first of all, I'm sure like those movie worlds would be amazing because you know the music in there in the in this world would be fantastic. Everybody would be dressed really well, even though, even if they're not dressed like stylishly. Like, you know, like no, nobody's wearing like expensive stuff. They're all, everybody looks handsome mm-hmm. in those movies. And I mean, your entire world would be crop to center. So that, that, that right there would be. And a very high probability of Goldblum. This, this is, this is quite true. <laughs> um, I, you know what? Last year I actually got to see something cool. I went to the concert put on by Sue George. Um, the, yes, at Massey at Hall. Massey Hall. Uh, and he, he had did the, all the Bowie stuff. Yeah, he, and he had like a little uh, submarine oh, as, did he? as his Cause, set. Because that's, that's that why the Life Aquatic is the most underrated Wes Anderson movie. People, people. This is true. This um, is true. I mean, we've got another one coming this year, so you can go deeper into that world. You can go to like, well, the, you know, the, the animated uh, The third one was, what the, was actually the world of Fantastic Mr. Fox, but I'm thinking you're just living under a tree. It's not terribly <laughs> exciting. The other two worlds... The, the hotel and the, the the functioning ship ecosystem. Oh, that'd be so much. Do you ever find his world's a little too twee, though? No, never, really, never, never, never. Like, I mean, there's times where I look and I think stuff like we're, we're going to talk in this movie about objects and about the kinds of like mm-hmm. things that are like specifically placed. But in his movies, I always notice that like the the turntable is chosen just so, and the scarf is always chosen just. I always I was like, some of these things look like there's a little bit too much thought put into that like i don't oh know. they're fully constructed yeah. uh and i don't know um some of them work better than others the beauty of the wes anderson thing is that his characters that are often in the prim perfectly mm-hmm. suits with the short sleeve with the shorter than they should be yeah. sleeve lengths yeah. and and whatnot there are they're angry people. yeah like they're uncouth <laughs> they're barely restrained by the twee okay like look okay. at uh, ray fines yeah and, yeah, and so Budapest. he's, it's all he's ready to go off okay. the hinge okay. yeah, this is the only thing holding the world together <laughs> so yes. okay I, I i i approve of this for sure um what is your favorite good scene in a bad movie this was the hardest question of all the questions you've ever asked. I feel asked. like you would do this well because you have all sorts of movies you hate, but you come up with, I love this character. I want a movie about yeah. this character. And I feel and like I've heard that I over and over from you. thought about this and thought about this and thought about this. And then there's a lot of movies that I think are bad, mm-hmm. but everyone else loves. Okay. And I thought that was kind of cheating Yeah. because – People are like, what are you talking about? That's a good movie. Right, right. So I had to find a movie in my mind that I dislike. Okay. That is generally consens- like okay. the, the general consensus okay. is also dislike. And it's interesting that the movie that turned a corner for me when you were reading back through the list was a Brian De Palma movie. This is also a Brian De Palma movie. Uh, it was about maybe seven years ago. He made uh, a film on the James... Elroy novel, The Black Dahlia. Yeah. So it's, it's a terrible film. Okay. It's a sloppy yeah, yeah, mess. Yeah. It's it a was late kind of, movie. It was kind of designed to be the 
logical get the audience that loved LA Confidential mm -hmm. back in to the theater for for another round but it, whereas LA Confidential is sprawling it's still relatively clean mm -hmm. and straightforward uh, the Black Dahlia is well it's Brian De Palma film so it's kind of everything thrown at the wall and see what will stick so the movie's awful uh, despite a, a pretty impressive cast um, but in the middle of the movie uh, De Palma has this thing where he uh, often shoots point of view okay like the opening of snake eyes yeah. there's many films where he just shoots from point of view there's the one his point of view scene in the black dolly is when um josh hartnett his cop uh goes over to uh hillary swank this rich like debutante's uh family and has dinner with them and okay. it's shot point of view and it is the most uncomfortable weird uh, it's somewhere between David Lynch and Peter Jackson. Okay, I, I mean, okay. and that's a that's a weird combo to even put together. Yeah, yeah. And it's deeply uncomfortable, and it is delightful. It's also kind of the once you get to the end of the movie, you realize that that scene is kind of the linchpin of the oh, okay, of the movie, okay. and that's probably why it's so good or so stylized. Okay. It's funny because I know you guys back on the Cinecast, you like you did a long series of the De Palma I, and we stuff. Skipped this one. I, oh, I was gonna say, but I, but I mean, like you guys are like disciples of De Palma. Mm -hmm. it, it is a kind of the in this movie. It's like it's a bad movie. This is him failing just by all accounts. But here's this moment where it's like that's what you can do. You know, like like that 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 yeah, one moment well, in in a in a great director's bad movie where you're like, that was it right there. I mean, there's a there's other moments in this movie. It's not a complete like disaster, but it it, it amounts to very little, okay. and it becomes deeply disengaging. Mm. And then this scene happens, and you're like, Phoom, you lean right. forward, you're okay. like, okay, what is going on now? And unfortunately, the movie then goes way off okay. the rails. I was about to say, recovers. you're actually almost making me want to see this movie. I, it doesn't it doesn't hurt that I love I the book. When I was going through everything, <laughs> obviously I went back and watched this scene. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, should I re should I watch the movie again? I'm 99% sure that this movie is irredeemably bad. I'm going to go with that. Um, what is the most violent movie you have ever seen? Um, this was hard too. Uh, and so I, I, maybe this is a cop out, maybe it isn't, but it, it was formative for me uh, because back in the uh, mid eighties, uh, there were a lot of us that were trading um, VHS tapes yeah. of, of subversive mm -hmm. stuff. Like these were these hard R banned from the country yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if this movie was banned in Canada, but um, you certainly couldn't go to the video store and rent it. So I had a few friends that, that had, new people that had access to this kind of stuff. And so we, we sat down, there's several of them. Um, and I don't even know, I'm pretty sure the one I'm talking about, I just picked the first one is it's called the faces of death. Oh, are you yeah. aware of these? Yeah. I've heard of um, that. Yeah. So it's like a, it's a combination of, it's a, it's kind of a snuff film, mm -hmm. but not like uh, intentionally shot. Some of it's fake. Mm -hmm. Some of it's like, news footage that was unfit to air because it's too violent right. or whatever. And then some of it is um, like staged. And, yeah. and, and it, it really is just people dying horribly for, I think they made three or four of these. They did. And, uh, but the first one's in 1978. Oh, and man. I mean, there's scenes that just, 
I'm amazed that people haven't stolen them for from other horror movies. Like there's a scene where a guy is like they're doing an anti-nuclear protest. Okay. And he goes up to cut the cable. The no, the fence. Oh, like, okay. The, the fence yeah, to yeah. get into the nuclear oh, yeah, plant yeah, yeah, yeah. to do whatever. But it's an electrified fence, and his cable cutters do not have like rubber oh, handles. Shit. So he just cuts the fence and spontaneously combusts because there's so much juice going oh, through. Oh my god! And you watch it, and you're like, that ain't fake. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. And and when you're watching news footage yeah. or like Al Jazeera, if you ever if you have access to the the like the Western version of Al Jazeera, mm -hmm. they're a little more lax with what they will air. Like yeah. whereas the the big three and Fox News and CNN and whatnot, they'll they'll be like, No, it's too graphic, we're not showing this. Yeah. So but all of it pales compared because this is the, the, the yeah, it's anyway. it's it's weird because like I obviously I've heard about this movie. I've never seen it. I've never had that much of an interest. But the the cool thing that you mentioned there is the whole subculture of going after these movies and trying to and like how you know trading mm -hmm. them around and that kind of thing. You, like we forget when everything wasn't actually we're going back that way now. I was gonna say when everything wasn't completely ubiquitous and you could just find whatever movie you were looking for on whatever. I'm sure it's on platform. YouTube or something. Yeah, now. but You're I mean you know it, it, it's 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 kind of it's. It's a reminder of kind of where the the audience has gone and where it came from. Yeah. And um, all right, final question until I come up with five more for round seven. What is a movie monologue that you would love to deliver? And I know you sent me a clip, but I didn't watch it, so I oh, actually you didn't don't watch know. It. No, I don't know what your I, answer I, is. I hope you won't make me give. No, the movie no, 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 no. Um, I almost could, okay. but not quite. Okay. Uh, and uh, so about fifteen years ago, uh, I can't even remember the deck director's name he only made a couple films but he made it's it's actually in in many ways it's jesse eisenberg's coming out party except he's not in this scene okay the movie's de facto star is campbell scott um and it, the movie's called roger dodger mm. and it's a uh still haven't seen it oh it is it is exceptional so it's it's campbell scott isabella rossellini um jennifer beals okay and um, Eisenberg. Jesse Eisenberg and it's a Jesse Eisenberg is like a high school student who's about who is tells his mother he's going to apply to Columbia University but in reality he he really wants to hang out with his uncle who he doesn't see and it's like the cool uncle and he's played by Campbell Scott and the movie opens with him with his co-workers his boss is Isabella Rossellini uh, and they're in a coffee shop or something and he's telling a story because uh, one of one of his coworkers said it was pissed off that his sister couldn't read the New York subway map, and okay. he's like, "You should be thankful she can't read the subway map because it increases your utility as a man." And he goes into this long, <laughs> long mono monologue of why, in twelve or thirteen generations, men will be completely obsolete and cease to exist okay. uh, because. Every year, their utility is diminished. Dwindles. Okay. And, now, uh, why? Yeah. Now, why that one? Um, it's, besides the fact that it's well written. Well, first off, it's extremely well written. Second off, I don't know how well people know Campbell Scott as as an actor. Mm -hmm. He's had his ups and downs over. It's George C. Scott's son, right? Right. Uh, he's had his ups and downs. He's never been finer. Than he was in this movie. movie. I know there's people that like, uh, what's it, The Guide to Your Saints and, and yeah, uh, yeah. Spanish Prisoner, the David Mamet movie he stars in. He's great, but he's never been better than this movie, and that monologue uh, nails it. It's also weirdly um, 
it's progressive and misogynist at the same time, which I feel is the headspace that I occupy. Um, and all of my friends who I get in arguments with because uh, I feel progressive stuff is going a little too far. But I'm not, but okay. I'm still hyper liberal. Right. So I'm like in this weird, like, oh, now I'm the bad guy, yeah, even yeah. though I'm like hyper liberal. <laughs> so, and this movie was made 15 years ago. So okay. in a way, it's very ahead of its time. Okay. Um, I'm, gonna, it's, I'm it's definitely going to look that up and I'll... Uh, I'm getting myself in yeah. trouble. There's a lot of people um, mad at me already. I, if, if, I guess if you've never seen the monologue, uh, check the show notes for this episode. And uh, Kurt sent me a clip, so I know I can... Embed, yeah, you know it's there on YouTube. But, but in reality, it is the opening scene. It's okay. the first shot nice. of the movie. You will really want to watch the movie okay. after. Nice. Like, it's there's no way to watch that scene and go, oh, I don't care about this movie. Like, it is so good. There we go. That's Kurt Halfyard. We'll learn more about him next year when I come up with more questions. For now, <laughs> I like no. to keep you. Oh man, pushing, but I, I can I, like, tell you, the, see, this was the hardest series you've ever done. <laughs> this one was by committee. I asked two different people. Uh-huh. I had like one question. I asked two. I was like, I need questions, guys. And and this one, I whoever really, came up with the great scene in a bad movie, I, I want to applaud them. And that one them is me. That, 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 that's at the same time. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm very sorry. Um, we are going to move on to the new slang. That is Phantom Thread? Come on back after this. Phantom Thread is written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. It stars Vicky Kreps, Daniel Day-Lewis, Leslie Manville, and Brian Gleeson, amongst a whole bunch of other very handsome British people who I do not know. Phantom Thread is about Reynolds Woodcock. That's Daniel Day-Lewis. He has got to be leading the league in, like, characters with great names. Between, yeah. you know, Reynolds Woodcock, Daniel Plainview. He is a haute couture fashion designer in 1950s London. As the film begins, he goes on a weekend getaway to the country, and when he goes to breakfast at the town's inn, he meets a waitress named Alma, that's Krebs, and he is quickly smitten. He takes Alma under his wing as his model, his muse, and his companion, and puts her into a role as both his lead model and his live-in partner, all under the watchful eye of Reynolds' sister and partner, Cyril, that is Leslie Manville. Their relationship will take many twists and turns, with more tugging for power than a handmaid doing up her lady's corset. In Phantom Thread, Reynolds talks about hiding secrets in the linings of the garments. He mentions hiding letters and locks of hair and coins into the clothes that he creates. Secrets, he says, that can be hidden anywhere. It feels like a metaphor for Phantom Thread, that something is hidden in the lining of this movie. So pop quiz, Hotshot. Is there something hidden in the lining of this movie? And if so, what is it? I don't know the answer to that uh, as as i said uh, earlier today when i was talking about this in another forum uh it's really hard to unpack paul thomas anderson movies in a single viewing but i felt the same definitely with the master i felt very much that way with inherent vice oddly enough i feel there will be blood is laid out nicely on a single viewing in front of you uh, and and so is magnolia and boogie nights so the the further pt anderson goes in his career the more complex and more subtle mm-hmm. his films uh get so your answer is something is hidden but we don't know what 
and you'll probably you, it's we uh, may unpack it during the show. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm I'm hoping um, this conversation <laughs> will, will elucidate. I can tell you this though, I was quite surprised that the hidden things in the garment, which is really the thesis of the trailer, mm-hmm. is such a small. Like what you see in the trailer is That's pretty it. much what you see in the in the but film. Yeah, there's, there's, there's there's one message yeah. that she unravels in this like royal wedding dress. Yeah. But 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 other than that, it's not like it's like there's like find all the clues. It's not that kind of movie no. at all. Not not that any of his movies are. No. That. See, for me, I think actually what is hidden within the within the fabric of this movie is the nature of appearances, the need to be prim and proper and very well presented and very, you know, like we see the opening of this movie is Reynolds getting ready for work. And it's the beginning of this trailer too. And you watch him like brushing his hair and shining his shoes. And you know, he's like snipping nose hairs and he's really meticulously getting himself ready to go and do this for two reasons. One, because he works in style and you cannot work. Yeah, you, you have cannot, to practice what you preach. Yeah, you it. cannot work in fashion and just show up in your show up like I am now in a in a hoodie and jeans. You know, it's the same like if, if you're uh, you know, women who we know who like work at cosmetics counter, they have to go in fully, fully done up. Right. Absolutely fully done up. There's no half assing that even if you had two hours sleep. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So one, he's it's the the idea is that appearances in his profession are like you said practicing what you preach but it's also to hide the fact that a lot of these people are actually really nasty you know so that it it is a culture and an industry that is really vicious and really ugly and if it all looks handsome and looks appealing and looks we might just forget that a lot of these people are really terrible I actually disagree with that. No, really? I, I disagree with that completely. Okay. I, I would not use the word nasty ever uh, in this, uh, although I would I would say that um, Reynolds Woodcock is is narcissistic and insensitive. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't use the word nasty. The word that's in my notes more than anything is fussy. The movie's fussy. All of P.T. Anderson movies are constructed fussily. Interesting. And he finally got to a character that it's kind of like Stanley Kubrick uh, having the appearance of Jack Nicholson break down over the course of The Shining so that he be, he starts to look more like Stanley Kubrick. Right, By the end, right. I feel Reynolds Woodcock has the level of uh, constructive fussiness that uh, P.T. Anderson does. This is not an early in your career film. No. This is, this no, is no. a late... This is like his Barry Lyndon. If you keep going with the, with the shot with, uh, with the Kubrick metaphor, yeah, which yeah. is totally apropos. Like, yeah, if you look at the age and and what he's brought on in his career, I always used to on row three have these articles of like who are the who are the the neo Kubricks mm, okay. and, um, and Jonathan Glazer would always come up, but P.T. Okay. Anderson is one of them. Is definitely. It's one. funny because I act like. I, I've been thinking about him a lot because I, I talked with uh, with a friend of the show Jess Rogers a lot about this movie and she hates him. She she says like she she doesn't like the stories that he tells. She doesn't like uh, the treatment of women in his stories. And I was like, you need to see this movie because it's not his prototypical. On the one hand, it, it is and it's not. It's not his prototypical kind of story. And the women in this movie are unbelievable. The the women in the story are by far the most important parts and. 
I, I feel like they're fully crafted and fully realized well, and, and well treated. There is a scene in this movie where he where he's in like the office or his sister Cyril, who's played by Leslie Manville, in her office, and then um, Alma comes in. Alma comes in, and they have this like two women deciding where they're going to put the man who ostensibly is in charge of the situation is. Yeah. It reminded me extremely of a similar scene in Ryan Johnson's The Last Jedi oh, yeah. where you have Laura Dern and Carrie Fisher doing the same <laughs> thing to Oscar Isaac. Yeah. The Star Wars movie is the kiddie version. Right. This is incredibly adult and incredibly complex. Yeah. And on one hand, that scene is incredibly progressive. But then when you look at the scope of the entire movie, it is this movie is a massive refutation. I mean, it's set in London in the mm-hmm. 1950s, but it is a massive refutation of women should be in charge or the progressive values and whatnot. It is there is a lot of hidden like this. There's a misogyny. That's what's hidden. See, I told you it would <laughs> come out. I told you it would come out. That's what's hidden in the garments. There's a misogyny, except um, in this movie, uh, the misogyny is actually the glue okay. that holds the household together. And now is that what's ripped and, out of this garment? Like, is that, and that, that's the hidden when thing? you watch, when you watch, um, and when uh, being spoiler free, but by the time you get to the end of Vicky Creeps Alma's arc mm-hmm. in the film, and you realize just how dark he goes yeah. with that, yeah. you're like, what is this movie trying to say in the 21st century? <laughs> really, what is it trying to say? It's basically saying that as much as we like to put a human veneer on trust and love and care, there is a lot of dark matter that binds a romantic and sexual relationship together and you'll 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 definitely when we get to the b-side yeah we'll, uh, we'll get there oh, we, nice. we, we, this will definitely um, my b-side i feel is the most perfect okay. b-side that's ever been on your show um it's it's crazy because i you know this movie uh, we don't get it often and i don't know if it's just maybe as i get older my tastes are changing but it's a really great example of modern melodrama like I would, totally. I would 100%. adore watching this movie on a triple feature with like the hours and um, a Douglas Sirk movie, not Far Fair? From Heaven. Not, uh, yeah, sorry, Far From Heaven. Yeah, yeah which far, is based yeah. on a Douglas Sirk. Right, movie. sorry. Uh, yeah, but like <laughs> yeah. those yes. kinds of movies. Those it's kinds totally of movies that. Where the, where the score is really sweeping. The score in this movie, Johnny Greenwood yep. again. Um, doing, Very un Johnny Greenwood score though. And and it's, yet I kind of feel like it's, it's a classic be, Hollywood. Score. It's a classic Hollywood score. I kind of feel like it's going to actually be his breaking in. I, in a perfect world, yeah. the score for Phantom Thread would do for movie scores what the Hans Zimmer thing in Inception yeah. did, because that gets old really fast, oh, yes. as yeah. everybody knows at this point. Yeah. But the delightfully in-your-faceness mm-hmm. of the score, it's a movie score, it's always there, it's always present, but it's not telling you how to feel. No. It's this weird, here's the rhythm of the movie, not telling you whether to be sad or happy. That is how Hollywood scores often work, and that is gone. No, I know. It's delightful know. to see it, and, it's, and it's, the, it's to loud. have the guitars from Radiohead do it is it's just cool. bizarre. I mean, it's you know, you don't see it do. The first time I heard a score like this, I think I did hear it in the hours um, in two thousand two, the Philip Glass score, and I remember like rejecting it. Like I remember, I, I watched the movie and I thought, "What the hell is going on? That this score is just 
so loud that they're almost competing. They're competing to speak, and I didn't get it. Right at, at the time, I would have been like twenty four. Like, yeah. What is this shit? And I listened to the score on its own, and it worked so much better. And I was like, oh, sh- okay, let me go back and do that again. And then, like you know, the nerves had burnt in. So now I, I love when a movie does that. You don't well, get it very often. So the get it Soderbergh great. movie, The Informant. Yeah, has, yeah and, and it's interesting yeah. because that score wasn't even meant to be on that movie, mm-hmm. and they just took it and put it there, and it still works. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I want to talk about Alma in this movie. I had not seen; I'd seen Vicky Kreps in Hannah, which is to say that what I, is she? Is okay. she the? Is she Eric Bana's wife in the car accident? Here's the thing: I've seen Hannah many times, and she's in it. Yeah, I, that's all I, I know. I saw so, that. I, saw so that I don't as remember well. her in it. I'm guessing she's Eric Bana's wife in the flashback I guess. for like. Five minutes. Um, like, I mean, good pull. Uh, oh, this ca- is ca- great. The, the, the casting agent, we, we were talking after this movie, as we were saying the sound designer of this movie deserves an Oscar yeah. because of something we'll talk about in a bit. Certainly the casting director uh, who, who like did a search for, you know, what seems... Almost a hard role to cast. Yeah, like, I mean, it seems by the, by the way this movie sold, it seems like you're just looking for an ingenue, which you yeah. are absolutely <laughs> for not. For a while. Because, yeah, because... <laughs> yeah. She's got. She's gonna do a lot of things, and yeah. my God, Vicky Kreps in this movie, you know, just like right from the get go, right from when she's serving him his breakfast, and yeah. what else do you want? What else do you want? What and else? Not, you just you and know, not to get sexist, but you're totally limited, also by body type, because the plot of the movie centers around that she is the most uh, like Gaussian normal body type yeah right it's um, it, it's strange because you put her in all of that couture and she looks incredible oh that red dress you know the oh, red dress so when they're it. doing the fashion show yeah the red dress with the white lining it's that actually one, the simplest dress in the yeah. whole movie unbelievable but just like everything that she wears like she looks exquisite in it but that's the kind of the point it, this is before uh you know the, the age of supermodels where they were all like a size zero and very right. flat like you were right. basically looking for walking Coat racks, yeah, right. He wanted. He was saying, "You have the type I need. You're me- you have measurements, and you you're not ample chested, but you don't have a lot there. It's my job to give you something." Yeah. And well, they spend a lot of time in the shooting of that scene because he's not just taking like your standard three measurements. He's, no, no, he's taking, he's taking all like sorts your shoulder, of and, and, your, yeah. and then you've got Leslie Manville, his sister, like taking like an it's like an inventory, like yeah. a check. Yeah. Check. And it's very clinical. I feel like in another movie that would have been a really hot scene. Uh, well, the it's beauty not, of that is you know, that it's, it's kind of like it's vilifying in this movie. Yeah. It's, but at the same way, it's also sensual. It's very yeah. complicated. The, the, the interplay between exploitation mm-hmm. and sensuality is the sweet spot. That's going to turn a lot of people off. I think so. She's... A, a woman who every scene she's in, you can see the wheels spinning. Oh yes, in her head every time she looks at something, she's not mimicking. She's never mimicking right. really. Um, there's one scene where she really gets her hands dirty and says, "Okay, this is what we're doing. All right, I'm going to go do this because you're saying we're going to go do this." Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know, it, it's an incredible scene where she like literally rips a gown off yeah, a woman, socialite's yeah. body while she's sleeping. And but you can always see her when the ta- like when the the tailors are working, when the clients come in, yeah, even if when, she's when like Cyril just in and, uniform in the background. Yeah. 
you all like she is she's got like just calculations happening in her head of how to get into this world and it's incredible to watch but watch amy adams in the master yeah you'll see that he does that watch julianne moore in movie but, nights but i feel like this is him doing it at this is anderson writing this character at the, this this trope yeah. at its best okay fair she, I, I really feel like this is a character who is going to get into this world has no interest in it her life up until now and even once she gets introduced to it i think i really it looks like when she gets plucked into this world she thinks oh handsome rich man pretty clothes all right away we go i can do this yeah. and then she goes to the workshop and sees everything that goes on there in terms of the business and the art right. and what all that entails like this is way more interesting to me. How do I, not how do I become the model, right? not even how do I become the seamstress, yeah. how do I basically become an equal for Cyril? Yeah, a, a partner in this yeah. world. Yeah, which and is, it's, and yeah, it's yeah, amazing yeah, yeah, to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there, it's weird that they don't play, I think, a, again, a standard movie would really play the rivalry between yeah. Alma and Cyril. And there's so many scenes, there's a great scene where clearly there's conflict. Yeah. And then Cyril's like, I kind of like this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, because the movie opens with Woodcock kind of abandoning a mistress. So yeah. you're, you're, it set the stage for you think it's coming where again. the arc yeah. of yeah. the uh, next of one is going to be. be. Yeah. Like if you've watched Mother, they, mm -hmm. they do it within that mm -hmm. movie. They, they they do it in a lot of movies where you see um, uh, swimming with sharks. You see the end uh, at the beginning. You see the end at the beginning. So you kind of are primed as to where it's going to go. Uh, but the but it's a P.T. Anderson movie, so of course it. It goes in a very different way. It's kind of weird because in a strange way, I feel like this is Daniel Day-Lewis relatively restrained. He's a, he's a guy, he acts very, very big most of the time. You know, like you think you think Gangs of New York, you think um, There Will Be Blood, certainly. Lincoln, he kind of had it pared down, but even then he really got to let low. This is him kind of at his most amazingly passive-aggressive. Yes. You know? Which, well, he's very passive-aggressive and there will be blood. But he's also aggressive-aggressive. <laughs> yeah. In this case, Woodcock can only be passive-aggressive. Yeah. And what I think is super interesting about this performance, and it actually gave me a whole lease on P.T. Anderson's filmography, the reason why his movies work so well. I mean, yes, I like the one-take yeah. mega shots he does. Yes, I like the fact that he shoots on film. Yes, I like the fact that his entire movies are always done in camera. Uh, like there's no special effects yep. in his movies, um, but he has a knack for shooting actors' faces and lingering on those faces. Like every scene where he does shot reverse shot hangs for two extra seconds than any than most directors. You know, for the for the for the utility of the scene, you just want to have a conversation. But P. D. Anderson is like. We're not doing this for the conversation. No. This is the movie. Like watching watching his face. Yeah. Watching her face. Yeah. Watching you see, you see that in the scene like when when she's like, Why aren't you married? And he's like, I'm I'm an eternal bachelor. And it just leaves it. it, it just leaves leaves it. He's lets like, it. I'm a I'm a bachelor and hang. Hang, Think of, hang. and you know what's funny? Like I've talked before, there are movies I feel are edited wrong, where you can actually see where the actor just kind of stopped acting. Right, right, right. This right. is not that. No, he's, he's not moving. He has he's to not, let his not, characters go way further yeah, than he's going to yeah, cut. It's great because I mean, yeah. 
it's this is he has said that this is going to be his last role and if this is what he's going out on this is fantastic no this is this, this is, is a great this is a great like this is great you know, because call. it's it's interesting it's subtle it's familiar but totally different the one scene where he does like true like he loses it a couple times like his his whole demeanor of being very prim and being very you know curt with people every once in a while he does let that go like there's a one scene where he's talking to his sister and she says maybe they want something chic and he just loses oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i like that yeah, yeah. that's he's clearly came up with that word to yeah. be drawn and quartered yeah. and it's epic and, it, and yet he doesn't ever like actually raise his voice but the crazy anyway. thing about this movie is it's incredible like and i don't know if maybe it was just it was gonna be that way the whole time or it's what came out of this movie when they decided to start crafting it it's a very tactile movie in a very, very like, so, yeah. like this is a very virtual age you know everything from your music to your photographs to your communication is all incredibly virtual and so i don't know if this movie is obsessed with objects or if it just found that that complemented the story really well but everything in this movie feels so tactile when, when all music is pushed towards streaming yeah. vinyl makes a resurgence mm -hmm. that's just the way the world works these types of movies get made uh precisely because the culture at large has gone a different direction yeah, i mean it's why the 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 it's why you read stories about millennials being interested in things like writing letters and buying physical books and returning to saying i want something for my money weirdly enough watching friends uh is a is a that's, like, a that's why netflix yeah. spends so much money on, on it friends? because well it's it's a day and age where people are hanging out with no cell phones yeah did um but did this movie go too far with that or were you enjoying the tactile oh, nature of this no, movie? no i could i could once it got down like a i enjoy the tactile-ness of it being shot on film yeah like so there's that element immediately we saw it projected digitally yeah but you can still see the grain it was the same way when i saw carol which is a 16 millimeter blow up or the beguiled where you're like oh my god this is film yeah or good time if yeah. you've seen that film. no i haven't seen that holy one shit yet. that's good but even but, even in this movie like food food plays a huge part in this movie we're actually well, the ritual of food but no, it's just all of it. Like, I mean, you know, first of all, we're, we, we've alluded to something. There's a scene where uh, Alma is trying to be a little bit of a... I don't know if she's trying to be a brat or it's just the way it's coming out. But it's a little making, bit of both. She's making a little she's bit more noise herself, at breakfast than usual. And the sound designer yeah. runs with it. You know, but everything, like when she's serving him the breakfast, when they first meet, every time they're she eating. She cooks the meal yeah, as a major all, point in their relationship. It's all very, yeah. you know, very much paying attention to the preparation of food. Back in, but like back in the age where you were chopping everything yourself and grinding everything yourself I, do I know i do too i do too but i mean you know the other day i saw the the ad for the um not the slap chop but now there's a new version where it's like a tug okay. you know and, and it's i'm like yeah it's great that you can blend your your onions in one toll but i actually like the ritual of chopping up the onions mm -hmm. this movie does too and i kind of it's i wonder if it skates that very very narrow line between obsession of objects for the sake of wow. objects or just the romance of that whole thing. on the food item i can't answer the other things okay. i mean it is a movie about making clothing which yes. is you're making a veneer to change someone's appearance that's yeah. already like there's a thousand things that spring out of that but on the food thing i'm sure you didn't miss this the, the movie is not terribly subtle about it that his appetite is directly correlated to his artistic 
inspiration. So like uh, when he's no, I, when you know he's what? I didn't notice. Well, the, the big scene is when he, tell, yeah. when he meets her. Yeah. In in the <laughs> in the country in yeah. the restaurant, yeah. and he just keeps or he's like. I found my muse. So he just keeps ordering food and ordering food. And then there's a scene later where he's like, I think I'm getting hungry. Like, th- yeah. th- that is that is very much correlated. And then meanwhile, so, there's even a scene where like she goes to bring him tea while he's working and he's just like, his work is not going. It's, as well. it's shit. And, she, and, and she's like, like, yeah, he's like, I didn't ask for tea. Well, you, the tea's here. Yeah. No, I don't want it. Okay, I'm going to take it now. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. You, you can take the tea, but the interruption is still here. Oh, that scene. <laughs> that might that be the is, most vicious line I've ever heard. I think like, because I am <laughs> profoundly passive aggressive by nature, <laughs> that is my the, the way he delivers the dialogue yeah. he, he's like you can take everything away yeah but the interruption will, is here it's here yeah. it will stay so it's so mean we're gonna do something so different on this show we are gonna uh, right now we're gonna get to the souvenir and the rating but we are gonna come back in a second with the spoiler section because there is an end of this movie that really needs to be discussed uh, you probably have your pick of hundreds and hundreds of things that you could uh, if you could keep a souvenir from this movie what would it be my um, my souvenir uh, of this movie is how, the, and I said it earlier, is how P.T. Anderson captures faces. It, mm. it is back now in all of, like, I think of how he captures Philip Seymour Hoffman in The Master, yeah. how he lingers. I, I think I subconsciously knew this, mm-hmm. but because this is the most extreme version, I mean, a major plot point in this movie is that uh, Woodcock and Alma have staring contests. Yeah. Like if there's not a better opportunity <laughs> to just look at people's faces. Right. I, I mean, I love the filmmaker Al Morris because he lets the cameras kind of linger before he starts talking. Like they step up or they're on camera and they're just kind of waiting. But he uses that footage. I, I you know, like we, we talked a lot about, like obviously closer all over this movie. I actually want Reynolds pajamas in this movie. There's a scene where he, like we see mm. what, what he sleeps in and we're actually kind of in an age beyond pajamas like i think most guys yeah, that i I've know never sleep. never worn them. yeah i i, I got a pair like, i like the idea of them yeah me like too top hats i like the idea of a top hat <laughs> I would but i don't wear them. them but his are just so stylish <laughs> i know i'm like i would love it you know if, if you like happen to knock on my door at nine o'clock in the morning and i rolled on a sunday and i rolled out of bed and that was how i was dressed yeah. because i would be in something comfy and yet still really still handsome like rocking it yeah i mean it helps that you're daniel day Lewis. of course you, yes. you look good yeah i'm not and he things. was skinny in this movie yeah. He was really, really. Trim. I think it's I would, the lack of facial hair because if you look at his Bill the Butcher uh, and and the Daniel Plinkett, Lincoln, where yeah, Lincoln, yeah. where he's got all the facial hair, it's amazing what that does like yeah, for the character. That's true. I mean, I challenge anybody to watch There Will Be Blood and Phantom Thread back to back. I mean, same director. Yeah. Same actor. Yeah. But holy crap, the Two the difference good, yeah. in just the body language and that's, that's acting. Nice. Yeah. He's very good at it. We rate here on the matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars. Kurt Halfyard, what is Phantom Thread? Oh, this is unquestionably. Well, there's no the. There's a whole conversation. There is no definite article. Someday, <laughs> not here, but someday there will be a whole conversation of why the the it's cleaner is not in there. Is it a design issue? Is it a minimalist? I, I, I swear, there is a yeah. profound conversation to be had of why the preposition yeah. is missing. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so this is a four. It's a four. Yeah. This, is, this is a four for me, too. This would have been, four. you know, if I had seen this before the turn of the year, it would have been one of my top five movies for sure. This is a fantastic movie that just, I cannot wait to go back to this and watch it again and pull on more 
loose threads from this movie. But speaking of, we are going to take a quick break here. So if you have not seen this movie, uh, you might want to skip ahead because we're going to talk about the very end of this film, uh, stuff that happens in the last act that really turn the tide of the story right after this. All right, you've been warned. Spoiler time for the Phantom Thread. I keep doing that. Yeah. No definite <laughs> article. Spoiler time for Phantom Thread. If ever there was a year that has underlined my dislike for eating mushrooms, 2017 was the year. Between yep. this movie and The Beguiled... It's amazing nobody loses a limb in this movie. Because it's also <laughs> a very big year for severed limbs. This is true. Um, the third act of this movie, I don't know what I expected, where I expected the story to go. Probably just to Alma being dismissed. I certainly didn't envision her taking that kind of hold of the bit for starters mm -hmm. i was delighted by the dual poisoning not just one mm -hmm. one poisoning would have been incredible she's like oh, no, this is a thing this yeah is our this thing. is our thing now yeah <laughs> too and number three i i love that the great catastrophe that sets everything spinning is the destruction of one of these dresses. You know, like that, that is the thing oh, okay. is, you, you know, like you would think in a movie like this, what is the crisis going to be? The crisis is going to be, Oh, their relationship or the crisis is going to be him, you know, just spinning out and like the way most megalomaniacs do. No, 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 no. You have this just perfect white creation that they have made, that they have meticulously made for for war for royalty. For royalty, yeah. And in falling, he by poison, he has torn it and he has smudged it, and now everybody has to just like push forward to recreate it. The third act of this movie is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. In a normal movie, yeah, a standard just movie for the sake of story, mm -hmm. um, the illusionist to the prestige, if you will. Um, the normal, simple movie would have uh, the poisoning being the uh, the reason for the fight. Like, that would yeah. be the conflict and that would be the reason. And because it is the violation of trust. I mean, the the dress being destroyed is in, in many ways is an accident. It's, it's a consequence of it. But... You know he wasn't happy with the dress anyway, so that well, no, that's I don't important. Know if See, that's the, I, I, that's the thing I like about that moment is we don't know if he was actually unhappy with oh, the dress right. or if he was just or if he was mind. just sick. But the, the the thing is, is that her poisoning him the first time is such a profound violation of trust. Yeah. Right. Um, and while Woodcock is quite passive aggressive towards her. She does always know kind of where she stands. In mm -hmm. fact, he's pretty childlike yeah. and transparent most of the time. He's, he's pretty vocal he about throws it. throws like a tantrum, right? Yeah. Um, she's a, a little more subtle and, and, and way more dishonest in her poisoning. So you would think that that would be the crisis. But in a incredible subversion in, you know, the Gaia, the Earth Mother, and the, 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 the petulant child, essentially the plot of Mother, um, it's the poisoning and the violation of trust 
that strengthens the relationship. I don't know if that's true, but it's interesting I mean, it's, drama. It's, it's the way, very it's the way this story drama. is written. And yeah. that was the thing. Like, we're going along in this movie in like the first hour and change. I'm like, this is nice. This is really good. This is really handsome. I feel like I've seen this and I feel like I know right. where this is going. Right. And it's not It's not like it's a twist, right? Like I'm not, not, I'm not putting this under spoilers because I'm trying to hide a twist. It's very straightforward. It's just it's unex it's very unexpected, well, very very much. Yeah, that will be the positive, yeah. I guess, in a weird way. That yeah. is the positive in the movie. Yeah, that's the that's the magician trick. Like you know, you you're you're following this hand, yeah. and it's doing all these things, and you're like, okay, I've got it, I've got it. He always hiding stuff in the garbage. We're gonna do this. That was the thing that all that was of this the turn. was. Yeah, the pledge, was, the turn, yeah, 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 the prestige. Yeah, 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 that's the turn. That's the right? turn. Yeah. That's the point where you're like, oh wow, what he was distracting you from. Yeah, uh, was like any good magician trick. The thing that's kind of in plain sight, but then it's what you do with where you got, and that's the third act of the film. Yeah, it's it's yeah. incredible to watch. Uh, you know, we get this whole scene where where we see you know almost been really kind of struggling to like get her dominance the, the, for the most of the movie and then after the poisoning she's like nope i am i am on this horse now and i'm going to ride it where i want to go so they go out to that inn and she goes yeah. to the party and she's oh like, that new year's eve party we never yeah. even talked about know, how good that know, party is like she's yeah. laughing it up yeah, yeah, yeah. and she's cheating at the games yeah. it's yeah. just all of that in the last well and that the turns them on that, that gets them going right yeah. the fact that she's not demurring that she's no. that she's more than capable because you do not want to marry someone that is beneath you and yeah. you do not want to marry someone that's so far out of your league it doesn't have to be beauty it can be brains it can be yeah. humor it can be anything that that you're 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 out of breath perpetually to keep up you want to marry someone who's who compliments equal, you yeah, and, and yeah. equal and opposite and yeah. that's the genius of phantom thread <laughs> is the equal and opposite yeah. um, oh my god that but on the literal it. sense yeah. of the phantom yeah. of phantom that's thread or in this case, the Phantom, Phantom Thread. Thread. There is, I'm pretty sure, while he's sizing up that dress, before he knocks it over, it's there's one of these classic uh, P.T. Anderson dollies okay. in on the shoulder, yep. and you can actually see there is a, a Phantom there Thread. is a loose like okay. imperfection okay. in in the cloth, okay. and uh, of course the dress is remade without them even noticing it. So I that mean, also makes it the Phantom. But anyway. is it weird that I found the conclusion of this movie where he eats the poison and swallows? Like I found that insanely hot. Just like he could tell he was being poisoned, and you just you know why, chewing, chewing, you know chewing, why it's because you're you're getting older. <laughs> okay. And what your definition of hot is will evolve. Okay. Because it's not just like some you know smoking you know nightclub dress right. or whatever. It, the movie that does this better than anything is Michael Mann's. Miami Vice, the recent one, the, yeah, yeah. the one from a few years ago. Yeah. So you have two sex scenes happening. Mm -hmm. You've got the standard kind of childish version of Hot, which is Gon Lee and Colin Farrell, you yeah. know, having mojitos in Cuba and just everything is like this huge sex fantasy. Right. And then you have this domestic, deeply communicating um, scene between uh, Naomi Harris and Jamie Foxx. And they're, he's kind of 
making it like they're having intercourse yeah and he's kind of making a joke and they're they're so connected yeah and that is the more hot scene hot because they're like too. look at the it, that is a deep and profound place to get at that level of yeah. comfort and intimacy and i feel if you can flirt through uh, West Nile, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Like, which is essentially what that scene is. Yeah. You've hit some deeper level. And yeah. I think it's hot because you aspire to be there. Either as the cook or the diner. You know, like that, that's you're in, in this moment. Like, you, that's the kind of thing that you want. This, this weird, like, I mean, it's, it's such a strange scene on so many levels, but at the same time, it's just like even just the tension of watching him chew, you know, because he's like yeah. he takes his he takes one bite of that omelet that you know is cooked <laughs> with poison mushrooms and just chewing, chewing, but chewing, and you're like enter Foley guys because yeah they echo the scraping of the bread yeah. with the chew again yeah. yeah and you're like pick your moments they're That's- like. You're, you're, you're on your – like, is he going to swallow it? Is he going to spit it out? Is he, he obviously knows. Yeah, like this is the movie. Yeah. Like, the movie uh, is that they both know yeah. what are you going to do that's, with that knowledge. Mean, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. the last 45 minutes of this movie are what really lifted it for me because going along, I'm like, this is nice. This is neat. This is exactly what I thought I was getting into. It's where she you know, picks up her game. It's where he just kind of is like pinned in his seat saying, wow. You know, you, you you are you are more than measurements, my good woman. This yeah. will this will work well. Well, what is most interesting for me about Phantom Thread, the the culmination, and I don't even know if it occurred to me until we had this conversation, is that you're never the person in charge, and you're never the dominated person. People have roles, yeah. And this is what, in many ways, aims to shoot down a lot of sort of the progressive smashing of conservative values because it's set in the 50s even Mm -hmm. in london that's a conservative decade but it shows you how just because you think it's conservative it doesn't mean it's restraining yeah it actually has like steam water have ways of going and if you just open the sluice and say look this is the way it should be fucking boring yeah this is all of hitchcock early hitchcock all of the douglas cirque melodramas all these movies that had um, like codes, like the Hayes Code and mm-hmm. all these different things that you can't show this. So now we get trains going into tunnels and fireworks going off. That's way more interesting than yeah. explicit sex. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, because having to work, it's the whole notion of artistic constraint, which making dresses is the embodiment of that notion because no matter what you're doing with the dress, it has to fit that body. Yeah. That body has massive constraints. Yeah. And so in a way... Oh, there's so much going on. Yeah. I like this movie even more after yeah. talking about it. Yeah, no, definitely. There we go, folks. Spoilerific uh, talk on Phantom Thread. Um, you know, as I said, but if, if you watch this movie and or The Beguiled and you still have a taste for mushrooms, I don't know what to do with you. Um, 2017 was a really cool year for food at the movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so, there's also yeah, this, the, uh, there's, oh. there's a third movie, which also stars Kristen Dunst. With... Uh, with to do with, with poison hallucinogenic kind of fungus which one uh i can't remember what the title is it's a really like artistic uh oh, okay. experimental film and it's one of the great films of or it's one of the films of 2017 that i regret missing 
Like oh, I, I missed it. It played Lightbox we for like a week. Ghost Story, you know. Yeah, I didn't like Ghost Story a, at all. Oh, I don't, but I don't yeah, know the eating of the pie is a good scene though. That's what I'm saying. Uh, it's, I'll, good, I'll, it's good uh, year for food at the movies. You know, that's I'm happy. I yeah, and the spaghetti and and killing of a sacred deer. Yeah, you know, it's good times. Pick your poison, literally. <laughs> Come on back right after this. We're going to turn the record over and play the other side. Back. He's Kurt Halfyard. I'm Ryan McNeil. It's Matt Nacast 191. We've been talking about Phantom Thread. Um, you're going to go further down the rabbit hole here. You said you had the movie to go along with this. So I, I, I want to start with, with yeah, what you Okay. Thought. So um, the movie for me, um, uh, again, it was kind of a coming out party of an actress with a very established actor. Um, in this case, it's a, it's a female director, not, not a male director, but... Um, but she was at the top of her game, uh, Lillian, uh, is it Lillian Cavini? Mm-hmm. Um, 1975, The Night Porter with uh, Dirk Bogard and Charlotte oh, Rampling. I meant to see that so many it, times. It is, it, it's, it's, it's oh. also a movie where the, sen- so the, the basic plot of this movie is, uh, and it's a dark, difficult movie. Uh, Charlotte Rampling is a, like a Jewish prisoner in a concentration camp in Nazi Germany, and Dirk Bogard is the Gestapo officer, uh, one of many, mm-hmm. that has, you know, forces her to be a sex slave. Weirdly enough, it's an art film, like a difficult, complex European art film, but it actually spawned the whole Nazi exploitation, kind of like, you know, sexing up of the, the German, gotcha. like fetishizing yeah, of, the, yeah, of yeah. the Nazi. I think it's the movie that kicked it off. Anyway, that's the opening part of the movie or the flashbacks. The movie's actually set many years later after the war. Dirk Bogart is in hiding uh, in Vienna and uh, um, Charlotte Rampling is the wife of a conductor who is giving a concert in Vienna and he's the – Dirk Bogart is like the hotel porter and they get into this very disturbing, passive-aggressive sexual affair huh. 20 years after – the war to the point where he's risking exposing himself and she of course was totally abused it is a dark movie okay. um in the fact that a, a woman directed this is probably a good thing because if a guy directed this it would be he, he would he would be taken a little more to task for yeah. the subject matter uh but anyway um i mean this is the same director who made swept away uh, which is another dark like battle of the sexes kind of movie yeah um the original, not the original, the, not, not, not the guy. The bad yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah. So yeah, the, I I fully believe spiritually, uh, like how the movie's constructed and 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 kind of how it plays out. The night port is a little more graphic okay. and a little more extreme. Yeah. But at the same point, they're they're they really there's not a big space for this type of. Movie well, I mean, it, again, it gets back to what you were saying about the power struggle, right? And the whole thing of. Uh, of like wrestling for control in a relationship and you you are not always like to put it bluntly you're not always the top and you're not always the bottom we saw that another movie that actually would marry in quite nicely with this is we saw that in um the duke of burgundy 
Oh yes, you know, oh, which, that movie's so you good. Know, with, with, Except again, the Duke of Burgundy's a comedy you know, exactly. in a weird way. Oh, that's, but again, that's like, a great pairing. But like the way. you know, like like with the clothes oh, again, oh. And with, and, you know, with the the, yeah. the the fact that the submissive in that yes. relationship is yes. actually so incredibly yes. dominating. It's good. Um, it's it's, it's weird good. Like it's it's funny. I mean, we're in an age where uh, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey is a hit, sh- like book phenomenon and film phenomenon, and yet. It's been around for ages. Well, no, who you know, made this the, whole thing has been around for a long, long time in our movies. And who made the point uh, that in an era where all of these men in positions of power abusing their employees? Yeah, I mean, and absolutely, they should all be taken to cast. Oh yeah, burn them all to the ground. Yeah, please let them pay. But the Fifty Shades of Grey movies are equally mega hits. Yeah, like which is a boss. Yeah, exa- yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. it's, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 the, the, the there's there's a line, guys, and just you know, it's you, fa- no, but it's fascinating for every, uh, you know, society wanting to do the right thing. There's a dark mirror to yeah. that, and well, Fanny I mean, Fred is kind of one of those mirrors. It, it is. It is. Um, I took things in a different direction with my pairing just because I wanted to think of another movie where clothing was front and center and it's a movie i haven't been i haven't found a way to talk about on this show but i found it interesting messy as it is um did you see from two years ago the movie the dressmaker by jocelyn morehouse with kate winslet yes i did i actually walked out of it oh really i did how how far did you get I mean, it wasn't like a walkout because like, I was you, disgusted you were, like, with the movie. Off. The movie's actually kind of a, a fun um, uh, take, like feminist take on a Western, yeah. which Western's my genre. Yeah. Uh, but I, I had double scheduled okay. myself with another movie. And I thought there are parts of the movie that I found, The Dressmaker, that I found oh so fucking precious. Mm. Like particularly Hugo Weaving is an actor who I – profoundly deeply love yeah and i felt that his performance in that movie was a li- and I'm, i mean i love priscilla queen of the desert yeah. um but i found his the notes were too much on the side of like uh embarrassing like i i didn't feel like he was being joyful i i actually found it with judy davis the, the movie's just slightly overwritten and uh so yeah the thing like I, I, okay, again, I said this Classic off the top. Revenge Western. It's, it is. And I mean, this film is messy. This film is actually, this film is one act too long, actually. Yeah. There's, there comes a point where this movie should have ended. Yeah. And it could have ended, like, beautifully. And it goes it goes on. She, spoiler alert, she gets her revenge. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel like by that time... Is it story, with a golf club? The story, no, no. Okay. The story was very much... Told. Yeah. But I, what I love about this movie as a pairing for uh, Phantom Thread is the way how you see and how you outfit a person. I, right. I, I know because there's the Sarah Snook. Yeah, like, I mean, I know makeover scene yeah. in this movie. I know like shit which is all. Quite well done. Exactly. I know shit all about clothes. Right. I think that they're clearly. Uh, thank you. I, <laughs> 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 um, I like. I mean. Listen, I, I appreciate good clothes, and I and yeah. I really love style, and I, I 
Do I love you, the word haberdashery. I, me too. I, I, you know, I'd like, I'd like to visit one. Um, I, I don't really have the body type that suits this kind of thing, and I spend my money, my money in other ways. But I really do appreciate a person, both a person expressing themselves yeah. with clothing, but even more so a person expressing themselves by the clothing they create. Mm -hmm. um, because I had this conversation uh, with, with our, again, with my friend Jess Rogers about how tailors and anybody who works in fabrics create something that is possibly going to last the recipient a lifetime right you know we my clothes what i'm wearing right now that you're joking about are top to bottom disposable you know i don't think i'm wearing anything the t-shirt i'm wearing from a concert is probably the most expensive thing i'm wearing because it cost me 30 bucks because you're at a concert yeah because i was at a concert you know i would I love the idea of some of these movies where the clothing is insanely expensive and insanely like well crafted, and you're not even counting stuff sewn into the line right, and right, cut right. for their. Well, body. there's also the notion that and you see these that the expensive pieces of clothing uh, generally, even though they will last the person's lifetime and are ephemeral. That yeah. there's a mention in Phantom Thread of where are these dresses? I don't know. They're probably gone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But the notion that at this level you're buying that dress like for one occasion. It yeah. doesn't have to be a wedding. No. In this case, there is a wedding dress. Yeah. But a lot of the other ones are um, like, I, I believe the, the, the social, like the patron, matron mm -hmm. that they strip the frock off of. Yeah, that's um, her wedding dress. It Yeah, it was her wedding dress, but it wasn't white. And it was also no. kind of a, it was more of a, her wedding was more of a consolidation of wealth yeah. than a wedding. So yeah. they, they made the dress like green, right? Yeah. Like, like yeah. she's literally wearing money. Yeah. Um, it's like, I mean, you see some of that in the dressmaker as well. Like the way that she outfits these women and the way mm -hmm. that she, you know, she tailors them and she's like, we are just going to raise the game of this whole town. Mm -hmm. Her expressing herself with the clothes that she wears, that she's either bought, um, you know, in her travels around the world. Mm -hmm. Like the first time she encounters Hugo weaving, she's wearing Dior. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and she comes back, she's just she was this ostracized child. Right. And she basically brings a rugby match to a standstill. Yeah. yeah. It's a good scene. <laughs> it's, over, it's, 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 it's it's it is overplayed at the same blunt, time. I mean like but, hey yeah. listen if you're gonna if you're gonna outfit somebody in haute couture, you could do far worse than Kate Winslet. While I do like the whole entrance, like the classic movie entrance yep. of Sarah Snook in that yeah, movie. Yeah. I think that the and then a lot of movies have this problem. It actually, I was thinking about it when you were saying like a bad movie with a great scene. Mm. But an interesting, another interesting question is, what's a movie with a with an opening scene that's so good yeah. that the movie can't recover? Because uh, yeah. um, that might be in round seven. Because <laughs> uh, I, I can name a couple. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. the dressmakers one. Her entrance on the hill with the sewing machine and the. The, the dress or whatever, like that's an I entrance. Mean, you know, I know, um, I know you're a fan of it, but going back to De Palma, um, Femme Fatale is like that as well. You've got that amazing yo, yeah. thing. You know, that, that whole movie's good. But yes, <laughs> but but another one is uh, Ryan Johnson's Brothers Bloom. Yeah, the movie's okay. Yeah, but holy crap, that yeah, Ricky J narrated intro. with the kids. Yeah, um, and more recently, um, Joachim Trier's Thelma. It's a great movie. I saw it twice theatrically. This is the movie about the little girl that has telepathic powers. I did not see it. Oh, that. it's fantastic. Okay. It's by the guy who did Louder Than Bombs and Oslo. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Um, okay. So, 
I was okay on it when I caught it at TIFF, yeah. but then I went and saw it again because it played at the Cineplex, and I went and caught it again. And it is a great movie, but the opening scene of that movie is, is so profoundly amazing. Okay. I'm like, I don't care how good this movie gets. Yeah. That opening scene is so... It, it hits me so hard. Yeah. Um, Did you have another Marriott movie with uh, Phantom Thread? The other observation of Phantom Thread is that, because we talked a bit about The Beguiled, we talked a bit about the Grand Budapest Hotel, and I feel if you just clumsily, like a child with two Tonka toys, just smash those movies a bit together, yeah. you kind of, you're not going to get Phantom Thread, right? but you're going to get something that looks like a broken version of Phantom Thread. Okay. Um, like, so we were talking about Anderson earlier. I mean, the one that I just immediately jumped to after, because one, it had been 10 years since I'd seen it. Two, I actually haven't watched it all that often, was I jumped to There Will Be Blood almost immediately yeah, after coming home. It's playing on Friday at the, uh, I, at the I, sh I should go. Um, I don't have plans. On 35 uh, Um Like, Anderson has a thing about telling stories about obsession. Mm -hmm. Like, and that is front and center in Phantom Thread, the obsession of objects and the object of your affection. There Will Be Blood is all about obsession. Even, I mean, you know, again, even Punch Drunk Love, it's all yeah. about various types of obsession. Boogie Nights obsession he, again. He also combines that with um, some sort of familial or domestic betrayal. A lot of his movies have yeah. deep, like, whether it's literally the father or whether it's a father figure. Yep. Um will will do some act of betrayal. I mean, it's clearly on display from a husband-wife point of view in this movie. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's... And there, yeah, but you have it in There Will Be... Like, in There Will Be Blood... Well, yeah. I mean, that movie has aged amazingly. That movie but never was not, bad. Has that movie not, was never I bad. Mean, I, no, I, I no, still don't it, get no, the people that ate I, that movie. I don't get any... I mean, I get... I Okay, I, I will cop to one thing. I can understand somebody being thrown by the ending. Like that ending will just that ending just throws you it's off a, monster a cliff. Ending. Yeah, it's it just a monster throws ending. you off a cliff yeah. and says bye. You know, it's, it's a, yeah. see it. I'm done. Um, no, there there will be blood. You know, it was it was the first time he was working with Greenwood. It was the first time he was working with with Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, it is huge. Well, it might it might be, and this is saying something. It might be his biggest movie. It's his best movie. I think it's his best. Movie. That, that, that's saying um, something too. I, I do think it's his best movie. Uh, it's not his most subtle movie. But no. I do think it's his best movie. No. And if if Phantom Thread takes a lot of its uh, grace notes and, and some of its aesthetic from um, Barry Lyndon, yeah. um, there is so much Space Odyssey in... Um, when, I when, mean, like, right down when to the score. You, when you know. Yeah, the, the score at the beginning sure. is Space Odyssey all over that whole him yeah. standing. He stands like the apes. I just watched on the weekend Space Odyssey yeah, in 70. Okay. So he stands like his crouch okay. when he's, like, having his coffee yeah, is, yeah. is mimicked. And when he beats Paul Dano to death, oh, it's framed yeah. identical to the wow. when the when – the, when the, when uh, the ape, ape the, uh, the bone. gets the bone and he's breaking, like it is identically, wow. identically, it's the same angle, it's the same, like, so there's a lot of, oh, uh, there's man, a lot I, of, I, I hadn't yeah. even thought of that. I, I, so, I mean, he was like in, in, in P.T. Anderson's early career, he was 100% uh, like showing his Altman. Like yeah. everything he did was his Altman. Yeah. To the point where he co directed slash ghost directed. 
A Prairie Home Companion. I didn't like, know that. The company, because Altman was so old when he was making A Prairie Home Companion, yeah. they hired Anderson. Paul Thomas Anderson to be on set the whole movie wow. so that if he died, yeah, he would finish it. And I'm sure that was the dream job so, for, for Anderson. I, actually, I hadn't thought yeah. of that. Would you like, – this is kind of – I feel like – there will be blood and everything. That is kind of where he makes this turn. Totally, he stops being Altman-esque. Yes, and you know, like Boogie Nights is he definitely Altman-esque, uh, and, and Magnolia, unquestionably. Uh, uh, Punch Drunk Love is very yep. Altman-esque, and all of a sudden, yeah, I mean, Altman has a fashion film. It has yep. Prêt-à-Porter. Yep. It is nothing like Phantom Thread, right? You know, Phantom Altman. Thread, Inherent Vice, and yeah. There Will Be Blood are all clearly Kubrick, because even. With even with inherent vice being kind of a broad at times comedy, yeah, it's in the same way that something like Doctor Strange Love is a broad comedy. It's broad, but it's still kind of dark, yeah. and it's definitely weird, yeah, and it's definitely shot way better than a broad comedy needs to be. It it's it's done with such a meticulous attention to detail, which many would argue comedy needs you've got to get that timing right but you don't always need it in the lighting and yeah. in the in the depth of field yeah. not all the time and every time i just picture armies of technicians measuring out focal lengths yeah which is which everybody complained in the shining because yeah. kubrick had so many of these planes of, right, right. of focus and he had people you know have huge boards and measuring tapes because that was what he wanted yeah. and i feel I don't think P.T. Anderson, I don't know. I don't know how Kubrick was. I don't know how P.T. Anderson, I get the sense that P.T. Anderson's probably a little more fun to yeah, be with uh, on one set. Would, one would hope. Because uh, I, I, I see him in interviews and this and that. Yeah. Um, but I do also get the sense that, yeah, there is that level of, we're going to stay here and do this till we're done. You know, Sorry. Like, you know what's funny? Before we, kind of, before we leave Anderson behind, I, you, you know, you have those one of those little, little moments of like, what if? So I, my, my favorite one is always, I always say, in Jaws, what if the shark had worked? Right, because right. Okay. it would be a what, yeah. Probably one of my little one of my little one ifs. What ifs is Anderson seemed primed to win a writing Oscar in '99 for Magnolia. How if, old was he? Like twenty nine. He wasn't old. He he was like I mean well, like, again, it was his I, third movie. I think your capacity for disappointment is much higher when you're young. Yeah, but I mean. What if he had have won that Oscar? Mm. You know, would he still would he still have made everything that he's made since then and made them as well as he's made them? Would it maybe have dulled his wits a little bit? I want that's one of those little what well, ifs. And the other you thing know? is to consider it's not a what if, but to consider just how much of a shit show he was put through with Sydney slash Hard Eight, like with, oh, yeah. the, with that company, and they yeah. they kind of took it away from him, and they, they did this and they did that, and then the can thing happened, and he kind of recovered it and he re-edited it, but he still kept. The Compromised, which I do think is a better title, Hard Eight, uh, and whatnot. Like, that creates a formative. I know a lot of the ways that I do, this is a weird thing to bring up, but um, a lot of the ways in which I do my finances mm. were predicated on a loan that I was given when I was in my 20s oh, yeah, that yeah. I could pay my way out of, right. but they wouldn't let me. They're yeah. like, we're getting our VIG. Yeah. You are taking <laughs> that loan to its payment by payment end, even though you have the cash uh, yeah. to clear it. Yeah. We are not, not letting, letting you, you out of it. it. Yeah. And I'm like, I am never fucking doing that again. <laughs> and I feel with that's, Heart 8, that's a lot of the situation. And I don't words. know. You're right. If he had won the Oscar, it might have undone some of that. But sometimes getting screwed is like the best 
thing ever. Yeah, you can I mean, learn, you think can, about you can learn a lot. By think about like, uh, think about George Lucas yeah, and, and his fight yeah. with getting Star Wars. I'll just keep the merchandising rights. Well, the rest <laughs> is history. Now it's the whole franchise is a giant fucking toy commercial. Yeah, and because. Because he because he did because that's what he did. Um, I got one more card to play when it comes to other sides, and it's it's broad, but at the same time I wanted to play it because when I was looking around uh, for another side, I wanted to talk about a movie where it takes a really gnarly, nasty look at marriage. Um, another thing I'm noticing as I get older, those are the kind of movies. Are you going like, Birdman on me? No, I'm not. But good call. I wanted to bring up the Liz Taylor marriage movies. So I'm thinking of Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf? Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf? Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Yeah. And Reflections in a Golden Eye. I'm sorry. Okay. I was from, the, I didn't oh, even yeah. know this movie from existed 1967. Until now. Okay. With directed by John Huston, my her one of my favorite directors. And Marlon Brando is who she is married to. And wow. Marlon Brando How do I know not know this movie? I don't, exists? It's, it's crazy. I don't know. Uh, he is a um, He's a. I want to say he's a major. He's a, he's an army officer, mm-hmm. and she is his wife. And she. This is a power struggle of epic performance. More than more than Virginia Woolf. More than Virginia Woolf because that's like mean, kind of the benchmark. At one point in this movie, she is basically telling him, you know, like why don't you go out there and tell your officers how much control you have over your wife? And she walks up the damn staircase, stark naked. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, yeah. And with him just like. Seething yeah, at the bit, like you know, in an age where a, a man would smack a woman right. for for far less, right? Right. You right. know, he he won't raise him to it. I don't know what it was about Taylor in her prime. Um, maybe it was the fact that she was going through marriages and going through marriages. I don't know, but it, it seems like she was meant to play these parts in these. In these I stories. I'll say this all the time: when they try and doll Elizabeth Taylor up and and make her into a movie star yeah she's not terribly interesting when they let her be ragged and mean yeah oh you're like wow she is a raw talent like beyond the fact that she's one of the best human beings since we've been capturing images of human beings yeah best looking i mean but no when she's like i mean look at her in virginia wolf she is haggard and dressed out i mean she's still gorgeous yeah which is weird yeah but but at the same point the fact that she's such a mean personality Mm-hmm. That's where she shines. I mean, even if you look at it, she has a tiny part in this wacky political conspiracy satire called Winter Kills. Great movie, by I've the way. I've never seen it. Um, John Huston doesn't direct it, but he's in it, um, doing his Chinatown kind of thing. Um, and yeah, she just has a minor role, but she's not nice. No. <laughs> and, and she was born to play incredible. Michelle Pfeiffer's. Definitely it's, coming it's, into her yeah, own. It's, 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 it's strange because I mean it's it's a it's a hard place to get to as an actor. Like I don't think you can do it. I was actually really impressed that like Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams could do that in oh, Blue, Blue Velvet Valentine. because I mean yeah, they're both so young. One. Good one, Blue, yeah. Velvet. Blue Valentine. Good one. They're both so young yeah. in that movie, yeah. right? I'm like it's it's kind of one of these things that you have to have been around the track once. And had that person just really drive you up the bend, right? And I, I again, I mean, it just might be because of how Liz Taylor lived her incredible she life. Did. She did. Incre- she did. Like yeah. capitalized. I'm sure. Life. No, you her say it was movies. incredible, but I don't think it was ever comfortable. No, like, it was I, never I, comfortable. <laughs> but I mean, like you could, if I, tr- if you tried to do a biopic 
of of Elizabeth Taylor, yeah, you'd yeah, need yeah, a trilogy yeah. at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, the Liz well, Taylor like Mary movies. Well, like you said, movies. it's there in the movies yeah, if you yeah. want to unpack it. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. That was episode 190 of the Matinee Cast. We have given you so many movies to watch. So if you're looking for something to check out after Phantom Thread or Phantom Thread isn't playing for you yet, we've given you a lot of options. I want to thank Kurt Halfyard for coming by. Come on back on Monday, January 29th for episode 192. We'll be discussing the Oscar nominees for the upcoming class of Academy Awards. Uh, got a regular guest dropping by so I get to do the sixth round of questions all over again. Uh, people want to find your work or follow you on Twitter. Where can they find you these days? Uh, you can find, well, predominantly social media wise, I exist in Instagram. Yeah. And, and Lord, do you ever. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so you can find me at Triflick uh, on there. I don't tweet much. Um, so you won't you're not missing there. much uh, it's kind of a gong show these days it, it, it's, it's a platform I have exited mm. um, and you can find my writing as sporadic as it is and I've been mo- mainly doing like longer pieces yep. um, of movies I like Keep I'm, I'm doing one on the prestige at, at the moment nice. um, at, so uh, I can Screen find Anarchy? that at Screen Anarchy nice. I also my, my if, if you were a fan of design uh, and whatnot, I for many many years I ran a poster column at row three i would post what i thought was the best movie key art of the week call yeah. and i called it friday one sheet at row three i've actually imported that column over to screen energy uh, so nice. it continues okay. to be published every nice. friday uh, you can see what i what i dig in the poster world and more importantly why i dig it it's not just like here's no, a no. poster it's, 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 it's yeah, kind I of like looking design. at design elements and and tropes and 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 things in, nice. in posters yeah nice my site, of course, is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, you're welcome, Paulo, Blueberry, Apple's podcast app, and the iTunes Store, along with Stitcher Radio. Everything gives you ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback on Phantom Thread or any of the dozen or so movies we talked about after that can be left in the comments section of the site. You can email ryan at thematinee.ca. Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore CA, or Facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Any final thoughts, buddy? I want to thank you deeply for allowing me to scratch an itch I can no longer <laughs> scratch on a regular basis. But more importantly, I think the sixth time it's is a charm. charm. I I always have fun on this show. <laughs> I, I always feel very open. I always accidentally drop an F-bomb. Sorry about I, I'm that. I'm keeping it in. Um, but I feel... This one I've had more fun doing. Like oh, they sure. get better okay. every time. Nice. So that's a testament to what you're doing. Uh, Thanks, that man. that uh, being on the sixth time, it's not an <laughs> obligation. It's, it's a freaking pleasure. <laughs> For Kurt, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee. Cheers. <laughs>